grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, the Alpha, the Omega, our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you're five minutes early, you're ten minutes late. Have you heard that before? That quote is attributed to Vince Lombardi, a football coach. But even if you've never heard the quote before, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept that if you're not 15 or 10 minutes early, then you're considered late. Showing up for formation, showing up for PT, showing up for the first shift at your new job, showing up to class. You got to be early. You got to be on time because we live in a time oriented culture. If you're having an event, if you're having church, if you're having a birthday party, the most important detail, even more than where it is, what time is it at? That's the first thing we ask, right? What time is surgery? What time is church? What time are we meeting up for lunch? Time, time, time. Got to be on time. Being on time is so important that if you're not 15 minutes early, you're considered late. You have to protect time so much because everything has to run on time. This is how focused on time we are. Mary and Martha do not live, did not live in a culture that was as obsessed with time as we are, but their stress, their anxiety for their brother had forced them to stress about time. Doesn't grief, doesn't pain have a way of doing that? You focus on time. You're laser focused on time. And that's where Mary and Martha were when their brother Lazarus got sick. And when it became obvious to them that this sickness was going to kill him, it was just a matter of time. And so they send a messenger to Jesus. They say, the, the messenger said to Jesus, the one you love is sick. Now, they're not saying exactly what they mean, but they're implying it heavily. Jesus, Lazarus, you care about him, right? If you did, you will come and do something about this, Jesus. You will come and help him. We know that you can. See, Mary and Martha, when they started to worry about their brother, when it started to become obvious to them that his life was ebbing to its end, the chief question on their hearts was when. When is Lazarus going to pass away? Now that we've sent our messenger, when is Jesus going to show up? Is Jesus going to show up? Is Jesus going to help? We know that he can, but will he? I think you know what that feels like. In your pain, in your suffering, in your grief, in your anxiety, the question is when or how long? How long am I going to go through with this? When is God going to come through? When is God going to help me? Mary and Martha, they had in their mind a window of opportunity that Jesus should come, Jesus should help at some point before Lazarus dies. That's what they had in their head. What's your window of opportunity? Okay, if God is going to help me, then the next words that come out of my doctor's mouth at this appointment are going to show it. That's his opportunity. If God is going to help me, then this test that I'm writing right now is going to go well. If God is going to help us, if God is going to bless our marriage, then we'll get past that arbitrary point that people tell you on your wedding day. Oh, if you can make it three years or five years or ten years, then you're set in your marriage. If God is going to help me, this is the time frame he's going to do it in. 
according to Mary and Martha, Jesus was late. Oh, he wasn't just late. He didn't just show up to his shift not on time. According to Mary and Martha, he had completely missed the boat. I wonder what it must have felt like as they were waiting, as Lazarus got sicker and sicker, closer and closer to death. Now is he going to come? Now is he going to come? And they were expecting maybe in the 11th hour, maybe at the most exciting moment when Lazarus is about to breathe his last, maybe that's when Jesus is going to come. And then when Lazarus, when his pulse wasn't there anymore, they thought, really? Jesus, you missed your chance. Now he's dead. Mary and Martha, they both pose this question to Jesus when he shows up. When Jesus got news that Lazarus was sick, what does he do? He stays where he is for two whole days. Why? Because he's showing that he's not as time-oriented as we are. He's not as obsessed about time as we are. But it's not like Jesus is just sitting on the couch saying, yeah, I'll get around to it when I get around to it. It's not like Jesus had a, had a to-do list that he wanted to get to before he went and helped Lazarus, Mary, and Martha out. No, he made that decision deliberately to stay where he was and to come when he came. But why? Jesus, you missed your chance to help out. And you, Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four whole days. If you know anything about the way bodies decompose four days, it's obvious he's dead. There's a smell, Martha says later on. They wrapped him in burial cloths. Why? So that they didn't have to look at the horrible sight of their decaying brother. It's obvious Lazarus is dead. And to them, it appears past the point where Jesus can do anything about it. Then Martha and Mary both say the exact same thing, and it's something that I think is familiar to all of us. They walk up to Jesus in separate occasions, and they say, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Mary and Martha believe in Jesus. They're not unbelievers. They don't question Jesus' power and his ability to do something about suffering. Just like I don't doubt you, I, I don't doubt that you don't doubt Jesus' power and his ability to do something about your pain and your suffering. But the problem was, in their eyes, he didn't. He missed it. Jesus, you could have done something about this, but you didn't. Why not? And you may have asked that question directly. I've heard it expressed in maybe this way. If God would have kept Adam and Eve, uh, or not given them the ability of freedom to choose between trees, then they wouldn't have disobeyed, and sin wouldn't be in the world, and therefore death with it. That's maybe a theological version of the same question. Or closer to home. If God would have prevented you from getting cancer, then you wouldn't have spent all that time running to different hospitals, all that time wasted recovering from your treatments. Then things would have gone so differently, probably preferably to you. If God would have made me just a little bit smarter at math and science, then I wouldn't be struggling with my grades so much right now. If God would have done X, then Y would not have happened. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. That question or that, that statement is the result of a struggle. A struggle to understand why Jesus does what he does. It's true. Jesus is not oriented to time the same way we are. He's not as obsessed with time 
as we are, but that doesn't mean he has no priority, no purpose. It just becomes obvious that we're on different levels. When we say, if you would have done this, then that would not have happened, that's kind of like saying, if I were God, this is what I would have done. But I'm not. And that only becomes all the more obvious when he doesn't do what I would have done. He shows that he doesn't think the way we do. But when you see the way Jesus thinks, what his priority is, what God's priority is for you, that's a whole lot better than anything else we could have come up with. It's kind of like you're camping with your dad. And it's the middle of the night. And you hear a noise outside your tent. And you get up, it sounds dangerous. It sounds like a ferocious man-eating beast that's going to come and destroy you. Your dad gets up too. He grabs the bow that he was going to use to get the buck the next day. And he knocks his arrow. He gets ready to take aim. And you're like, Dad, get it. Get it, Dad. Your dad can see that it's just a squirrel. But you can't tell. You think it's this ferocious man-eating bear that's going to kill you all. So when you see that your dad isn't taking aim, isn't firing, you're like, what are you doing, Dad? You're going to get us killed. We're going to die unless you do something. But your dad has his eyes on the huge rattlesnake behind the squirrel. God has his eyes on the real target. And he doesn't miss. It's just not the one we want him to hit when we want him to hit it. Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the dead. Martha is not an unbeliever, brothers and sisters. She's struggling. Just like when you say, God, if you would have helped me out with this, then this wouldn't have happened. You're not automatically an unbeliever, but you are struggling. You're struggling to understand why God, God does what he does. See, you know that Jesus is powerful. You know that Jesus is capable of handling your pain. You just don't understand why, he's, why he isn't handling it the way you want him to. But Jesus doesn't leave you hanging. He explains to us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That I am statement. Jesus is echoing something God said about himself in Exodus. He is the great I am. He always is. He always was. He always will be. This is the eternal God standing before Martha, and he is resurrection. Now, what is resurrection? You can't resurrect if you haven't died. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the resurrection? He says, I'm a lot more powerful than your doctor. I came into the world for a lot more than disease prevention. I came into the world for a lot more than to just prolong your life and make you as comfortable as possible. I'm the one who can take someone who is dead and bring them back to life. No one else can do that. And to prove that once and for all, Jesus underwent his own death and his own resurrection to prove that no one, not even death, can hold him. He has the ultimate power. He came not just to prevent death, not just to heal diseases, but to empty death of its power. Jesus says, I am the life, meaning I am the anti-death. I am the home team. Death is the away team. I am 100% opposed to everything death stands for. I came into this world 
to solve the problem of death, to give you eternal life, and not like eternal life like on those vampire shows, right, where they get really bored because they're like, well, I've lived for 500 years in, the, in this world of suffering and boredom and stuff. No, life to the full, Jesus said. Life after this earth, life that transcends this world and its, and its pain and its toil and its sin. He gives you life that is good. That's what Jesus is all about. Then he catches up with Mary. Mary falls at his feet. Says, Lord, if you wouldn't if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus says to her something very interesting. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Would it have been glorious if Jesus would have come right away and healed Lazarus right away? Sure. Would it have been glorious if Jesus took your pain, your anxiety, and rid you of it right away? Sure, that would give him glory for sure. But how much more glory does Jesus gain for himself? Does Jesus show you when he lets Lazarus die and brings him back to life? How much more glory does Jesus show you when he lets the pain linger but shows you he can bring you through it. And so the cancer diagnosis might come and might say, you might fail your star test. The breakup text could come at any moment. But Jesus' glory is so powerful that you are going to be okay, no matter what. Because he's got you for forever. He died to prove it. And he rose to prove. Jesus is not time-oriented like we are. He's glory-oriented. Why does he do what he does? Why did he let Lazarus die? Why does he let your pain linger? Because he's going to show you his glory, and that's good for you. Because if Jesus would have just healed Lazarus right away, they would have said, wow, what a great doctor Jesus is. But to show everyone there that he can do the impossible, to bring the dead back to life, then everyone knows what you and I know through faith, that this guy can do whatever he wants. There is nothing that can stop Jesus. So whatever decision he's making, he's making it for glorious purposes. But that doesn't mean he doesn't care. That doesn't mean he says, ah, shut up, I'm working on my glory here. You shut up about your suffering. No. Jesus walks up to the tomb and he weeps. The shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept. People are watching Jesus. God, cry tears, real human tears. Some of them draw the wrong conclusion. I don't know about you, but the last time I was really crying, it was because I was powerless, because I was up against something that I had no control over, the death of a loved one, a super serious anxiety, something like that. Some of those people saw Jesus crying and they assumed, ah, it's out of his hands, look at him, he's in shambles. No, absolutely not. Other people drew the right conclusion. Look at how he loved Lazarus. That's what we're supposed to see. Jesus weeps at Lazarus's tomb. Why? Because his friend is dead. Jesus hates 
death. Jesus hates to see what sin and death have done to you. Jesus hates to see you in pain. So he's going to do something about it. Might not be exactly what you want him to do in the moment, but he's going to do what is the most glorious for him, what's the most glorious for you. He has compassion on you, his brothers, his sisters. So he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. He walks out. The dead man is now alive. Jesus has shown once and for all that he is glorious, that he is in power, and that he loves his brothers and sisters and humanity. Mary and Martha, they struggled. They didn't quite understand why Jesus was doing what he did, but they show themselves to be amazing examples of faith, two women who are pillars of faith for us to follow. Because what did they both do? Martha comes up to Jesus, and she says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She trusts in his power, but she says, I know even you, will, that God will give you whatever you ask. God did. Jesus prays this prayer, this mysterious prayer to God the Father. It's one of those times in the Gospels where we get this really crazy clue into the mystery of the Trinity. God the Son praying to God the Father. And why? Why does he say this prayer out loud? He tells us why. He says, I knew you would hear me, Lord, but I'm saying this for the benefit of the people around me. He said it for your benefit, too. What does he want Mary, Martha, Lazarus, those, those mourners at the tomb, and you and me to see? He wants us to see God the Father, God the Son, working in harmonious, compassionate concert to do what is best for us. He wants us to get a glimpse into the way God the Son goes before God the Father on our behalf. He wanted us to see a little bit of what Jesus is doing now, constantly for you, interceding before God for you, saying, God, we got to get this enemy death. We got to get this enemy sin. We got to get this enemy the devil. We have to preserve. We have to protect. We have to love my brother, my sister. God the Father says, yes, you do. Martha, she falls upon Jesus. She admits what she's struggling to understand, but she falls upon what she knows. I know my brother will rise again the resurrection. How did she figure that out? Probably read her Bible. Probably listened to a couple teachings that Jesus had shared with her. She fell upon what she had heard in church, what she had read in her scriptures. Mary runs up to Jesus, says the same thing Martha did, but what does she do? Falls at Jesus' feet. In that culture, a sign of tremendous, extreme respect because she knew this isn't just some teacher, this isn't just some buddy of mine, this is God who has come. And even though he's not working the way I want him to, I still love him, I still respect him. That's you and me, brothers and sisters. We fall upon what we know about Christ. We fall upon his feet and we understand, we admit that there are things we don't get. But we trust him to do what he did for Mary and Martha. To take them from what they didn't understand, what they were suffering, and to show them that he is worth their trust. That's exactly what he does for you and me. That's exactly what he's going to do. 
He's going to take you by the hand, lead you through all those things you don't understand, and show you on the other side that he was worth your trust. So trust in Jesus now. Don't wait till then. Trust in Jesus, who is your resurrection and your life. You will live with him forever. Amen.